Machine. Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places a dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 136 is recorded live November 1st, 2012. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson, and here's a few of the articles we're going to have this week. We have Halloween-colored lobster, a weather buoy launched in Lake Michigan, and developers unveil plans for underwater turbines. That and more. But before we get started, I'd like to welcome my co-host for this week. We have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, thank you. And it's a lot nicer day today than yesterday. Oh, certainly. And we... As bad as it was, we missed a lot of that. I feel for everybody on the East Coast who had to deal with Hurricane Sandy. Uh, some amazing photos. We have some articles we'll talk about a little bit here in the news, but hopefully everybody's safe. Uh, as bad as it was, it could have been much worse. I'm, I'm amazed that we keep dodging it up there. Uh, and I think we're really going to understand how much potential there is for damage from, from weather and flooding in that part of the country. They always like to say these 100-year storms, but to me, they seem more like 50- or 60-year storms. Well, if you live by the ocean, you're going to have to expect to get wiped out occasionally. I mean, it's a fact of life, and I don't think you really ought to build there knowing that ahead of time. They're going to say, well, I can be there 20 years and nothing ever happens. Well, 21st is going to get you. I... I'm torn between having sympathy for people who, who live there and those who don't <laughs> because you're in a danger zone. That's like if you ever look at the areas that say this is the high level mark for 100 years, that ought to give you a clue, people. Yeah. Well, and then surges. Wherever the, the normal high weather and a bad storm is, add about 10 to 15 feet onto it, and that's what will happen in a hurricane. Yeah. And there there's no magic that is happening off the east coast that prevents them from happening now they're they're not going to be as current as florida gets them or cuba gets them or puerto rico gets them but they're still going to happen and this was an example i think we've seen this <coughs> excuse me we've seen uh, quite a few storms head that way and they've gotten lucky but it's just a matter of time before we have something really big well you take a look at the islands offshore of the carolinas and they're not very much above sea level no, those are... And you have one big tsunami, and they're toast. Well, and those are dunes. Uh, there, there's a lot of islands off the East Coast that had been tourist attractions and then just eroded away. Yeah. And what happens with the sand it, it, in these storms is it picks up sand from some spots and deposit, deposit, deposits that sand on others. So it... You know, That's what amazes me is how much sand... That water and hurricane stuff will actually move. I mean, a couple of those films, they had a guy out there talking. He had his hand on some metal. He walked over, and that was the uh, parking meter. And it was only like one foot or so of the meter up. And that was inland. The sand had moved that much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. So this this first article, uh, Hurricane Sandy leaves total devastation in uh, Monmouth County. And just the photos are amazing. How many, just, just the damage they've done. Yeah, that Union Beach decimated the picture there, the house. It's like, how can that house even stand since half of it's gone? Oh, oh yeah. Well, then you hear 
uh, you know, people talking about their cars. Uh, more than uh, on this particular stretch, a hundred homes were destroyed in Union Beach, including thirty that were washed away by tides. Yeah. 620 Mammoth County residents uh, were staying in shelters Wednesday, down from 1,000 at the peak of the storm. Uh, they made The police made 100 rescues in Union Beach alone. Every town presents its own unique scenario. It's a disaster. Utter destruction would be the word. Devastation was so total that many towns police are keeping outsiders away. They're checking identities at entry points. Town has only opened the residents with identification, business owners, and authorized contractors, according to Highland Police Captain Henry Clairgett. Because of the power outage and devastation, we're asking people not to come down and look. Virtually the entire Jersey coastline suffered at the hands of Sandy, including the Bayshore. Uh, people are less angry than shocked. Streams of yellow police tape flutter across much of the area. Uh, and, and they're going to rebuild. We know why, because developers are going to find that they can make a lot of money putting homes on the water just a side note real quick your audio is breaking up a lot on my end i don't know if the other people are hearing it might ask him real quick and get feedback yeah in the chat room is it breaking up or is it just my side <laughs> well it, it could be i mean the, the cheat is what i record for the podcast my audio always sounds really good because it doesn't break up between me and the record the hard drive <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but you're, you're sounding pretty good so uh, so far we're not though i don't appear to be losing much of the signal. They said uh, there's been a handful of looting incidents, but describes them as need-based, people concerned about their well-building, taking illegal action. So what does that mean? Somebody stealing stuff from a store? Uh, they saw a couple the other day where they got into drugstores and taken stuff. Huh. I saw some pictures of that kind of looting the other day. I think the other item that was massive was that fire that got out of hand, and that area just got, I mean, it was just burned to the freaking ground. Tons and tons of houses. No, I didn't see that one. Like you said, that was a widespread area, and they're talking billions upon billions. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a a lot of of it. I can't imagine how much trouble they're going to have with water down in the subways, salt water. Oh, yeah, there's there's been some talk of that, and I think we've got some, uh, some of those photos a little bit later, a little bit later on. So... On to a little bit lighter topic, invasive clams. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is a follow-up to an article that we had before. Scuba divers are unrolling large rubber mats in Lake Tahoe, hoping to kill the Asian clams. This was uh, an article from today, out of USA Today. Efforts are underway to rid Emerald Bay of the unwelcome visitor, as we had talked about in previous shows. They're taking these large mats at a mere cost of $810,000 uh, to hopefully eradicate the clams. They said that they think they've got a good chance for success. They said because the number of clams is relatively low, success matters because of the, lo- the lake's role in recreation. That's an urgency with Emerald Bay. It's so special. We're trying to get on top of this from the outset. Uh, they said, unfortunately for seafood lovers, the clams only grow to about one and a half inches and are almost tasteless. So don't count on any um, clam bakes from this. They quoted it 7,000 per square yard in places, and that is a lot. It's not the maximum that can be there. But if you've got 7,000 per yard and you're only going to be covering up X number of acres, I don't think they're going to make a heck of a lot of headway. Well, that's what I'm wondering. I don't, you know, it doesn't seem like that's going to be that effective. Uh, they say it's going to be at a depth of about 15 feet. The process of laying down more than 200 mats each 100 feet long and 10 feet wide. And at a cost of what eight hundred thousand dollars, it'll. I, I'm not sure what they're going to really accomplish with that. 
collectively for the whole lake. I mean, if nothing else, it'll, it'll prove that you can starve them out if you cover them up. But if you cover them up, you have no vegetation on the bottom and you might be doing reciprocal damage that way. I agree with you there. Well, it's almost a no-win situation. From what I've seen of the zebra mussels that we have here, I would say that it, it pretty much is. You know, other than a massive poisoning effort, and hopefully you could find some sort of poison that was selective enough that would only affect the clams. I don't know what they're going to be able to do. Uh, mats, uh, to me, don't seem to be the I, answer. Yep. And one of our listeners from California said, hey, it's California, it's environmental, No money is no object, we will take it or borrow it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, we feel your pain. I I don't think that's isolated to just California, but I do in a certain way consider California the poster child for some of those efforts, though. Uh, Next one up is Halloween-colored lobster caught off the Massachusetts coast. Odd coloration is considered to be extremely rare. Officials estimate it occurs only once in every 50 million lobsters. Uh, The Massachusetts fishermen caught the lobster uh, just before Halloween. The New England Aquarium says the one-pound female lobster is orange on one side and black on the other, and it's split perfectly down the middle. Now, I can't believe that you couldn't get a couple of extra shekels for that particular one if it's one in 50 million. I would think so. Even, I mean, even just to give it to a museum so that they could throw it in their marine tank. Yeah. I mean, that just... I mean, did you take a look at the picture of that guy? Of, it of the lobster? It almost looks like somebody painted him deliberately in half. That's, that's, that's unique. Well, I mean, striking. Well, I mean, if we had a cow or a horse or something with a line that perfect, nobody would believe it. That's true. I mean, you would have to take some masking tape, mask it, and then spray paint the other side to get it that perfect and even. Now, if he'd have had an albino eye on that one side, that would have been amazing. <laughs> that would have been. That's, I don't know what I would have thought if I'd have caught him. What I want to know is, is how do the experts know the odds and then are aware that it can happen? Must be guess, a gene thing. Yeah, maybe they, they're able to say, or or we eat so many lobsters that maybe 50 million is uh, one a year. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. Never thought of that. Yeah, there's a lot of them. And then... From uh, taking lobster to octopus, I guess uh, just today, this one has been receiving a lot of uh, chat on Facebook and the such. So uh, one of our contacts in industry said, hey, you may want to take a look at this, and, and that's what we're doing. So this, the article is, or it's not even an article, it's more of a press release or comments by a website that is a photography website, Rapture of the Deep. And the post is called Stealing 101,000 Lives. And it says, on Wednesday, October 31st, at approximately 4.45 p.m., two individuals emerged from the water at Alki Cove 2. And this is in Seattle, Washington, clutching a giant octopus, a giant Pacific octopus. Uh, I guess they call those GPOs, the world's largest species of octopus. Uh, the octopus was clearly in distress and fighting. Uh, but the divers repeatedly struck it in the mantle and then carried up the beach in the parking lot, writhing and squirming, but was unceremoniously thrown in the back of a pickup truck. Several local divers, including Bob S. and Mark S., confronted the captors and began asking questions. The individuals clearly did not care that they had just taken a beautiful octopus from the most popular dive sites in the state of Washington, and even more disturbingly, they admitted that this particular specimen was currently protecting her eggs. Uh, GPOs deposit approximately 50,000 to 100,000 eggs in the ceiling of their den, and they protect them without leaving for the six months gestation period. If the mother is taken, the eggs will not survive to hatch, 
and the entire potential generation of future octopus are lost. Known for its intelligence and gracefulness, the uh, giant Pacific octopus is truly a Pacific Northwest icon, and we as the community must take action to protect his species of fragile ecosystem, Alki Cove. Uh, and then he says, please contact me if you're interested in joining the campaign to limit or abolish GPO harvest and officially designate Alakai Cove as a marine conservation area. So we'll have links to show notes if that's something that you're interested in. But we, we did a little bit of research. And, you know, the first question is, is, was it illegal what they were doing? And when you check on the uh, fishing and shell fishing website for the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, the season for octopus uh, giant Pacific is all year. And they say it can be taken in all waters except for Marine Area 12. And not being from out there, when I look and see what Marine Area 12 is, it doesn't doesn't really make much uh, connection with me. Uh, and in, if it was in Marine Area 12, all species are closed in that area. So I'm guessing that's either it's it's either closed for because of, due to contamination or it's a marine preserve. They say for octopus, you're, there's no minimum size. The daily limit is one. You're not allowed to use chemicals or irritants. It must be caught with hands or instrument which does not penetrate the octopus, meaning you can't spearfish, stab them, uh, except that the octopus was taken while angling with a hook. Uh, the hook and line may be retained. So, I, The only thing I dislike is making those the bad guys when that's not true. If it's legal to fish, then they don't have a bitch. Yeah, you might not like people's attitudes or how they do it, but if it's legal, I mean, that's that's what you got to change, and it sounds like that's what they want to do based on the article. Uh, my question to these guys would be, okay, now that you've got it, what are you doing with it? Yeah, I don't know what you do with an octopus anyway. I mean, are they, uh, you know, I'm one of those people, If you're if you take something, then it needs to be used. So if you're fishing and you take the fish then you need to consume it somehow you know if you're doing the same thing with deer i'm, I'm not one for harvesting something and just wasting it correct i agree with you there if you catch it or, or shoot it you ought to be eating it or utilizing it in a fashion that makes it worthwhile certainly so you know one question is uh, is are the octopus endangered uh, you know and if that's the case that maybe they do need to take some stuff in the season it sounded like the one of the angles of the article was they were talking about the number of eggs and that those eggs would no longer hatch well is there a season for when they are laying eggs you know is it, is it one of those things where they they're pretty much all at the same time or is this a continuous where different octopus at different times of the year in which case then maybe there needs to be a, a shorter season for octopus and they also talk about the one area that cove area as a marine conservation area if, if it's something really special and there's a high preponderance of octopi there, then I can see them getting the support for that. But the gentleman did not appear to be doing something incorrect. The description they used made it sound brutal, but that's the way you would catch it as per the description by hand. Once you bring it up, it's alive until you do something to it. It's like a fish flops on the deck. What do you do? So I, they were trying to make it look really bad for the guys, and I don't think that was correct myself well i've got technical difficulty my mouse died <laughs> grab him by the tail swing him around uh, it might be why he's died well stop grabbing him by the tail and swinging him around yeah, yeah, here we go backup mouse makes for great radio doesn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't have i don't think i've eaten octopus i know i haven't that big 
That which I have is a lot smaller. I do like calamari. That, yeah. No, but I, I found that most things <laughs> fried and dipped in butter are pretty tasty. <laughs> yeah, it might have something to do with the butter. Goodness, I got myself all wrapped up in the cable. Oh, technical, technical. Okay, so again, we'll have the links in the show notes. If you want to see the article yourself, it's www.raptureofthedeep.net and uh, forward slash A-L-K-I-G-P-O. Okay, and then uh, from that, we have developers plan for 24 underwater turbines. Now, I looked at the diagram they had, the pictorial, uh-huh. and if it's 150 to 400 feet in depth, I'm probably not going to worry too much. But I'm very curious what kind of screens they have on these, if any. And if they have screens, how do they keep them clean, if they do? And where are the power cables coming from and going to? Because the pictorial doesn't show that. Yeah, the pictorial, I believe, is just a computer drawing, simulating what it would look like. Uh, the This one out of Portland, a Portland-based Ocean Renewable Power Company officials met Friday morning at the Maine Department of Environmental Protection Regional Offices in Bangor. The small group of state and federal regulators outlined plans to place 24 underwater turbines in west western passage of the Bay of Fundy in 2014. The project would be the next phase of the Ocean Renewable ongoing Washington County pilot project involving the first generation of its Tidjed turbines, which was submerged at a 60-acre Cobscook Bay site near East Point in mid-August. Deployment of 80,000-pound turbines assembled following millions of dollars of investment during eight years of design, fabrication, and testing. After being underwater for 12 weeks and transmitting electricity since mid-September, the pilot project unit... Um, to an on-store Bangor Hydro substation, the turbine array was pulled from the water Thursday for an onshore quarterly inspection required under the terms of the $10 million, Depart- $10 million Department of Energy federal grant. The unit is expected to remain in dry dock at the Eastport Boat School Pier for the next two weeks. Other similar turbines will be submerged sometime next year. I just sent you another picture uh-huh. of the turbine, a different viewpoint of it. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, let me take a look at that. I can see a big fishing net being dragged right through that and creating all sorts of problems. Now, see, that one makes, looks, hmm. Right, it makes more sense because there's no capture mechanism, you know, to, to really foul it up. And you can see where the generator is in the middle. I still don't see any cables coming off and how it connects to, to a power grid somehow. But that's interesting. So why why the difference in the photos? Well, one, they said they were going to stack them in some instances. Oh, so maybe that's the flat one. Yeah, I saw that they had different types, that they were going to do some that were going to be stacked. So maybe that's what the stacked version looks like. Okay. I'm going to send you a picture of what one really looks like on the surface for the barge. Oh, cool. There. And it looks like the freaking picture. <laughs> that's amazing. Looks just like it. Pretty big, too. Oh, wow. And they painted, painted them all pretty colors. Well, that is big. I wonder what how they run what speed because I wouldn't want to be a diver. Well, that's what I'm wondering is how do they, I mean, anything. I mean, I don't care if it's a, a diver, uh, a whale, a salmon. You don't want to run into that. And I'm sure they don't want them running into it either. Well, no, because right here they're talking about the tide gen is designed to operate in shallow tidal or deep river sites at depths of 50 to 100 feet. Now, that's my depth. Yeah. So... And I like the rivers. So that would be interesting to know how they would mark that for divers and fishermen with nets. 
Well, how does the what? I want to know what speed does that rotate at? It looks like it would be pretty much humming to me. If you got a fast current, that flat blade. That's true. I mean, just going on wind turbines of similar design, those spin around pretty good. You put that down in uh, someplace you've got tons of tidal flow, or can you imagine how fast that would flow or rotate in St. Clair? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would really be going. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd want to get anywhere near that little sucker. They said it can generate enough energy to power 75 to 100 homes. Oh, the three-device power system. So that would say that each one can do 25 homes. I guess that's why you do a concept is just to see how it works. Yeah. But that is big, though. Big, big. Boy, wouldn't you like to have the company have that contract? Yeah, I've got a picture here of where they're located. Seems like there's quite a few in this particular area, meaning if I were a diver, I would probably want that map to know where not to go. Yeah. I just sent that to you just for reference. Yeah, and then in um, New York, or which was you know, there again on the East Coast, they had a different style that we talked about earlier. Yeah. Well, the ones they wanted to put here in Lake Michigan, though, were the, the uh, actual windmill towers, but have them out in the lake. See, I'm for that. I don't see really much downside to it. You're going to have, uh, you know, an artificial reef there where those are going to be. And they were quite large, if I remember. I mean, they're going to be huge. So very slow rotating. Uh, the tough thing, and that, and when I was doing all the research on uh, preserves and underwater, uh, that that came into play was because uh, in the state of Michigan, there's really not a good way to get rights to put something like that out in the water. Uh, how, how you do that is you have to own property on the shore that lines up with it. Or you would put it off of parks and preserves that are owned by the state, according to their... Right. You know what I'm saying? And, and if you're offshore past 100 feet, that's not the people's property because it doesn't go out to the middle of the lake. Yeah, well, it wasn't so much uh, a concern of whose property it was. It's just that you have no rights to place something in the water if you don't have, rep uh, and I'm pronouncing it wrong, repertarian yep. rights. Yeah. So, and that's usually, that that's what allows you to make a dock or a pier, or if you're running electric, you know, from one shore to another, that's what enables you to do that. But if you don't have any, any property, you can't just go and mount something in the bottom of the lake and then have it work. I'm not sure how that applies to Lake Michigan. I know that does to, excuse me, inland lakes and bodies of water, but the Great Lake, I'm not sure how that actually works in that aspect. Yeah. Well, from what I was reading is they, is, is they don't know because they haven't done it yet. So, well, if the state wants it, the state will get it. Right. They're, yeah, they're going to they're gonna have to end up uh, creating some laws for it. Well, we'll have to wait, though. I mean, if, if they don't get the bridge permit, <laughs> you know the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, then they'll have to be putting this up for vote, too. Oh, gosh. I hate to even bring that up, but that that whole bridge thing. You know, for, we're in prime political season right here all over the country. And in Michigan, what we probably have about 12 proposals. Uh, I think we had six, basically. Six? Feels like 12. Yeah, I already voted. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, absentee. Absentee. Uh, so, but the, there was one where the bridge that goes between Windsor, Ontario, and Detroit is a privately owned bridge. So there's a consortium attempting to build a new bridge, and part of it would be public money. And, of course, the gentleman who owns the current bridge and has a monopoly on traffic doesn't want a new bridge, so he's created all sorts of groups to pitch that we now need to have a law that any project that uses state money over a certain amount has to be voted on. 
Actually, the way it was written, though, is they're talking international tunnel and bridges, not in the state, but international, which would mean from us to Canada. Yeah. Doesn't apply to the bridges in our own hometown and stuff. And the bottom aspect is, when have you ever had anybody build anything that says it won't cost you something, that it did not cost you something? Yeah. yeah, Rich in the chat room is saying Proposal 6 will not affect the new bridge, just any bridges going forward. And I think it's actually intended to affect the new bridge. It is for that. And it, again, is only international bridges and tunnels is the way it's worded, which means that one. Because yeah. the Canadians say they're going to pay all of it. The other part says that never happens that way. Yeah. So who do you believe? Yeah, all sorts of stuff. So before we turn this political... Uh, We'll jump to the next article, and this one is to help scuba divers in Navy clean up pit water. This one's out of Australia. Uh, they're, what they're doing is they're looking for volunteers for this weekend to help clean up rubbish from pit water seabed on Saturday. More than 20 people, including scuba divers and Navy personnel, uh, have already stepped up to remove piles of submerged junk. Items include a range of metal, plastic, rubber objects, sunken dinghies, batteries, tires, and aluminum cans. I always like the way they spell tires. I saw that. That's uh, a, a unique spelling. T-Y-R-E-S. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, I don't want to start an international war, so I won't get on that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, the day has been... Okay, so there. let's see what else do we have in here. So if you want to assist, it's in the Quiet Marina. Uh, 1856 Pitwater Road, Church Point, Saturday, November 3rd, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. I'm going to take part. You call 999-72800. doesn't even look like a real phone number. Yeah. Well, and the, the comment I like is we're just overwhelmed with the support. So that's absolutely great. That's great. Now, sunken dinghies. I want a dinghy. Now, that's probably <laughs> I, I'm, I'm what they're saying is dinghy would probably call junk boats. Some people say you are dinghy. Well, yeah, that's obvious. To me, this is just a good grubbing dive, ecology dive, just like we oh, saw yeah. earlier in England and the UK, finally getting down to Australia. Yeah. Well, I think what we need to do is that we need to set a record in 2013 for the most trash covered any year across the globe. Get more people out there diving. And speaking of this other gentleman, he wasn't quite diving, at least not the way I would think of it. It does look like a dry suit, though, or after what he was done, it wouldn't be dry that long. Driving suit wouldn't weigh Eon down in a charity fundraiser. This one was out of the UK. A 10-mile race is hard enough for anyone, but he was doing it carrying a heavyweight full diving suit makes it that much tougher. Uh, the challenge was Chief Petty Officer Ian Fleming of Titchfield Common has set himself running the Bupa Great South Run over three days. He set off at a slow pace at 9 a.m. on October 26 with crowds cheering him along the way in a 200-pound traditional diver's suit. The 48-year-old uh, covered two miles in a large suit while, uh, when the newspaper The Gazette caught up with him for a chat. Each boot weighs 22 pounds, so he's been walking at a slow pace with no time set to finish the race. He says, it's uncomfortable, it's very heavy, I've got locks, aches, and pains after two miles, but I should be fine. I'm stubborn, so I'll just crack on. Majority of the weight is on my shoulders, neck, and back. My knees are sore. It's not easy. It's hard to walk. And I want to know, who who convinced him to do that? <laughs> now, Mac, you, you wore one of those. Unique and novel. Certainly is. Uh, he's sort of done that, but never going to go anywhere near 
two miles wearing that gear. And I was a hell of a lot younger. Hmm. That just looks brutal. I mean, he he had got to have been just burning up in there. Well, you'd have to you'd have to be on fire. The boots, because I've wondered, you know, as far as walking, I've wondered, you know, there's ankle weights, but 20 pound boots. Uh, what they're doing is they're hoping to raise 5,000 pounds for British Limbless Ex-Servicemen's Association. Despite the discomfort, he's determined to raise the cash for charity. I tend to do one thing for charity each year, and I've done it for the past 10 to 12 years. I'm pretty good at doing extreme challenges. Being a serviceman myself and also a bomb disposal guy, I knew those who have been hurt and injured, so it made sense to do a military charity. The year's a 30, the 23rd annual run for the Bupa Great South Run. And we'll see 25,000 athletes, runners, celebrities take taking to the course tomorrow. Oh, my, my hat's off to him. Yeah, there's, there's a link there at the end of the article. I wonder if it says if you finished it. The one that says to sponsor the visit? Yeah, um, he he raised 5,789 pounds, 115% of his goal of 5,000. It's covered it, five miles on, on Friday, four miles on Saturday, the last mile on Sunday. I would be dead. Oh, certainly. I, I Amazing amount. Whoa, do you see some of the rebreathers those guys have on? The Royal Navy bomb disposal? Take a look at some of those pictures on the side. Uh, let's see. Oh, wow. Yeah, they got some nice gear there. Yeah. That picture number three gives a real good setup for the breastplate and the the, uh, the shoes themselves, if you've never seen them. That's a little bit different than the one he wore. That's Now, do you think that was a, a real one or, or one that was mocked up? No, no, that's a... Um, that, that was a real type. Well, I mean the one in the photo, but I mean the one that he was wearing. It looked to be the same one because the breastplate was the same. The helmet was the same. So, And you, and you look at that. That is a lot of people donating. They, they show you all the donations, 109 of them, and they're all just 10, 20, 30 pounds at a shot. Because yeah, he was wearing the full Siebert Gorman standard diving kit, which weighs around 200 pounds. So he basically went 10 miles in that. I ain't no way in heck that I could even think about doing that. No. So. Just getting off the chair with two helpers was a chore. <laughs> so so speaking of that, um, how, how are you doing? Are you getting closer to dive condition? Nah, I can no. talk to you about that later. <laughs> Uh-oh, darn. I I'm going to be landlocked for a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's, let's finish off the news here. Uh, we have uh, underwater garden gnomes. So after he did that run, he could have jumped right on in and looked for some garden gnomes. This one's also out of the UK. It sounds like they have an infestation over there of garden gnomes. Of gnomes? Gnomes. Underwater garden gnomes hidden in Lake District. Uh, they're under the depths of the uh, last water in uh, the Lake District, far removed from any lawn, are these garden gnomes. In the past, police divers removed them, fearful they were luring unexperienced divers to their deaths, but they were soon replaced. They are still there, divers say under other lakes in the region, but they are harmless fun, or they are are they a hazard? That's a pretty cool idea, you know that. Well, you know, Jim Kleeman. Uh, I don't know if he saw this or something, but a couple of years ago he was telling me that should be uh, something that should be done, and maybe not officially encouraged, but gnomes just end up showing up. Well, looking at that one picture, the bottom is not muck, so that's a big one. It's got to be sand out there. I see a Christmas tree on this one. Yeah. Well, I think what what we're doing is we're just showing pictures. It sounds like it's all over, so it must be kind of a, a tradition. Well, they were saying wastewater is England's deepest lake at 260 feet. Well, if there's any gnomes at 260 feet, I ain't going to be saying them. Well, and, and that's the thing. is The same thing can be said about wrecks. 
I mean, because there's a wreck that deep, does it mean that it's going to kill people? It's not the wreck being there. It's people diving beyond their skills. That's the problem. Oh. But, yeah, that's cool. I mean, in, anything to, along the bottom that would be to see. So maybe they could call that gnome caching, like geocaching. <laughs> sure. Maybe Patty or uh, the, the British Aquatic Club could, uh, Subaquatic Club could encourage this. Well, unless I had a really good GPS fix, I don't think I'm going to be aimlessly diving out Lake Michigan or any other lake to look for gnomes unless I know there's something out there. Because here, there's a whole scrunch of these guys. Yeah. Yeah, so they're saying in 2005, the Northwest Police Underwater Search Unit heard rumors the gnomes had been replaced deeper than the, than the 50 meters or 165 feet their code of practice allowed them to reach unless specifically necessary, which must mean that the police unit's not allowed to go that deep. These days, uh, they are not aware of any problems with gnome at Westwater. The spokesman said they had not attend, uh, attended any incidents related to the issue for several years but they warned that, that, that they did not condone gnomes in the lakes and advised divers not to put themselves in unnecessary risk. Now, they're saying that people are planting them there, but is it possible they're breeding? Well, you know, you get down there in the dark, nothing else to do. You know, there's no telling what those guys are up to. Yeah. But I really, I'm a little curious. I don't think I've seen any female gnomes. No. So well, do the females have beards as well? Yeah. So anybody in UK can fill us in on this. We'd, we'd, we'd love to hear about it. You can send us an email at the show at scubaobsessed.com. Okay, I think we've got some more. Uh, weather buoy. We have uh, a new weather buoy just launched in Lake Michigan, adding to the collection of them. Eat your heart outs the rest of the state and the country. We love our weather buoys. This one uh, reported by Wood TV. We know them. Uh, weather buoy launched in Lake Michigan. This is Park Township, uh, was launched as part of a pilot program backed by several companies and organizations. The buoy is equipped with sensors to measure air and water temperature, wind speeds, and wave height, among other things. was towed two miles from shore Monday evening after a public open house in Ottawa County Park Township. And that's uh, where we've done the New Year's Day dives before. Yep. Is right there. Uh, they said that uh, Lake Michigan is a huge obstacle to the meteorologists. Aside from the radar's ability to estimate wind speeds within a storm, it's difficult to know how strong thunderstorms winds are, uh, meaning out over the lake. And now with the expanding network of buoys in Lake Michigan, it may be easier to gain the upper hand on big storms. They said starting Monday night, real-time buoy data for winds, waves, and temperatures will be available online free of charge. Not only do you have access to real-time data, but you can see the trends. Um, now, what was the date for this one? I'm looking at it, it says July 16th. Oh, shoot. I just saw the post uh, today. Every once in a while, these little things will come through. So this is July. Yeah, and the reason I say that is I, I went down to the bottom of it and looked at some of the comments. Uh-huh. And they're saying the weather buoy in the middle of the lake is 40 miles away and only reports values every hour. And it's over two hours old when it's reported. So what value is it? Then I went to the link, talking about the buoys in St. Joe, Lettington, uh-huh. and then that went to hours. Yeah. And then I just went to hours and just found out that it's been uh, deactivated or moved since uh, 1023, which makes sense because that's when they did it last year, as I recollect. Took it out yeah. for the season. Yeah. Well, when I saw this and it was going out in the lake, I was thinking, that's a little odd that they would be putting it out right now this time of year when they should be coming back in. Yep, and it looks like they did because the one out by the cook plant, last data was 10, 23, 12. Yep. So night-night for the year. 
and it reported though more than once an hour either. I mean, that was pretty much current on the one we looked at. Yeah, the, the uh, ours was was pretty current. So we'll we'll, we'll keep an eye on this next year because that's a good spot out there in Holland. I mean, that that re- reflects what weather information we'd want. Yeah, uh, I I found it to be very very useful. They certainly were. So more more buoys, and I like that boat that they've got too. If you, yeah, if you saw a few shots of that that boat pulling it out. And then a dive into the harbor's history. I keep forgetting that there are five Great Lakes because we don't tend to see one of them. <laughs> so this one is... When you look at on, the picture, it looks surprisingly like something we've seen before in our own neighborhood. Mm, yeah, Dave, uh, before, Did before, you see you, it? before you came on, uh, Dave was wondering when we were going to go out and see how much sand the storm moved around. <laughs> so this one says the... Uh, in, in this, we won't read all the details of this article, but they're talking about um, different preserves in Ontario uh, that kind of mirror some of the issues that we've had in the Great Lakes in the U.S. side. Um, uh, for decades, it was legal to pull objects off the wreck. Many people did so. Um, uh, the, the, in the article, they're calling it looting, but I don't know how you can call it looting when it's legal. Yep. I mean, I guess looting has a negative connotation to it, but uh, taking stuff off wrecks. Uh, and they said it had gone back over 50 years. But what I really liked in the articles, a little bit farther on down, uh, they're talking about that they got 50 to 60 shipwrecks in the area. Uh, they said about 30 to 40, uh, 30 to 35% of those wrecks were sunken unintentionally due to boiler explosions and fires. Others met their demise after falling out of service and disrepair and were sunk purposely. Uh, they were taken out in what was called a ship graveyard. There are three known 1812 wrecks in the area. Um, and what they're talking about that they're doing is they're now starting to map them. So they're stitching, to, they're taking photos that all the divers have, have taken together, and they're developing 3D models of the shipwrecks, uh, many of which lie in the depths of Lake Ontario, just offshore from Kingston. As far as we know, we are the first group to do this, definitely in Canada, probably in the world. They're using uh, special software to weave hundreds of in- underwater images to create a 3D model of each wreck. The project was started in partnership with POW and Parks Canada. And what this reminds me of is uh, earlier in the week, Jim uh, Schultz uh, sent out an email requesting if anybody has any photos of shipwrecks in the, the Southwest Preserve uh, to send them his way. They'd like to use them for uh, marketing material on the, the Underwater Preserve website and in uh, print brochures. And if we had enough of them, we could do the same thing they're talking about doing here, which is a 3D modeling. I've got access to, I'm sure, the exact same software that they're using. And it's uh, very reasonable to use for these type of projects. So if you get enough photos, you have to have a good number of photos. It likes photos at different angles of the same object. And there's this uh, mainframe array that will go and stitch all these together and make a, a 3D CAD model with texture of the object. All I want to do is see them sue Mother Nature for damaging their shipwrecks because <laughs> I think she does the most of anybody I know. Oh, well, if you look at that one, and they've got zebra mussels there too, don't they? Yeah. Well, you know, they, when you read those reports of looting and all that, it's interesting to see if the individual saying that is a capitalistic archaeologist or a socialist archaeologist because there is a difference. <laughs> but then again, you know what I'm getting to. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we're going to have to have we're gonna have to do an episode on those here pretty soon. Oh, okay. Now, let's see. That does it for the news. We have a couple of potential uh, scuba gear articles. Uh, the first one I 
not that I'm really advocating it, but I, I saw in a fishing blog somebody pitching hooker rigs. So they're, they're, in just a really short blurb, they're saying that the hooker rigs are becoming more popular. Uh, now, I, I know that there's a certain company out of Florida that makes these hooker rigs that's just flooding the market with press releases. So I don't know how much is popular or, or how much is actually uh, PR. But uh, they're You're saying about that. Pardon me? Browning? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've not I get, seen too many of them up north. Have you? No. Well, there's, uh, there's actually a company that makes them up here. Uh, I want to say Three Rivers. There's a company that makes hooker rigs as well. Ah, you know the name? Uh, I'd have to do a search. I'll, I'll, I'll take a look here in a little bit. But um, uh, they specifically increase the time on the bottom for free divers. They don't have as much equipment as needed as scuba gear. My only comment on that is just even though you can buy one without training, get to training. There's so much that can go wrong. You know, you, you're 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 breathing compressed air at depth. You've got all the gear and entanglement hazards, probably even more so. Get to, get the training. I, I see it as a useful tool, but that's what it is, a tool, and you have to be careful and understand how it goes. Yeah, you mostly see those in the areas where they have good visibility and it's warm. Okay, and then uh, the Hero 3, we've talked about that a few times. Uh, did I send you, did I give you a link for that one? Nope, I was looking at the underwater escalator. <laughs> underwater escalator? Who's an underwater escalator? That's one of your articles, oh, sir. That, that one's coming up here. Yeah. So, but the Hero 3, um, that was released just uh, a few weeks ago. This, uh, the GoPro, the GoPro, oh, what the heck here? This is not my normal mouse. I want my old mouse back. Have you got a link for that one? Yeah, I just pasted it to you in Skype. Oh. Plus, I, uh, it's, I uh, gave it to the chat room as well. So uh, what is the difference on the number three, on the three edition? How does it differ? That is a good question. Uh, what, how it differs is that they've increased, they, it's 25% lighter, 30% smaller. It has higher resolution, takes better pictures and needs less light. Whoa. They said it was introduced two weeks ago is already on back order. GoPro says any online orders they've already received will be filled by mid November. Uh, tests that were taken. And this is from a USA today article said that the hero three camera produced superior results the video is crisp, sharp, and amazingly bright. Now, this is not underwater. This is above water. But, uh, you know, GoPro is already known for having a fairly decent underwater video camera. Uh, they said that... Yeah, thanks that. Yep, they said the what, camera... About 100 bucks? Yeah, it's uh, 399 for this one. The others are still avail- available if those are the ones you want. Uh, they changed from the standard SD memory card. So, you know, the easy memory cards that you could find everywhere were there. And uh, now they've gone to the micro one. If you want to know how small the micro SD card is, look at the fingernail on your pinky, and that's probably bigger than that chip. Yep. So do not drop one and expect to ever find it. They're just tiny. Uh, but it did, they did make them smaller. They said also the battery's tough. Uh, they used a butter knife to yank it open. Uh, they said it has exceptional video quality. Let's see. The resolution, and I haven't heard of this revo- revolution. Revolution resolution before a 1440p so 1080p is typically the highest uh, so 1440p i believe is even above what's on traditional blu-ray it sports a, a 12 megapixel sensor which can be used for photos and it can handle about 30 frames per second for video now it has a wi-fi connection so above water you can use that wi-fi connection and it will pair to a wi-fi device so that it can be used as a uh, viewfinder. And see, Mac, that's what I thought would be interesting. 
is yeah. you, know, you know like how we're getting on uh we're, we're always a diver's got it on and they're getting ready to go in the water you know and jim will say hey is it working with this you would know if you turn it on it was working because you'd be able to see it now as soon as he goes underwater we'll lose the signal but it'd be just another way of double checking and then i was also wondering if there's a way you know how far that signal would work in water could you actually have uh, one of those devices in a waterproof housing as well, and you could use that as your viewfinder. Because you really only need, you know, a couple inches. Because I wouldn't mind, because you could mount that on your head, and then you could have the viewfinder, you know, kind of like how some, you know, somewhere on your body, and you just looked at it, and that would tell you where you're aiming. So uh, an interesting idea. I I like the uh, possibilities for it. It is a little pricey, but uh, I don't think it's outrageously so. Uh, they also said it had good sound, but underwater everything just sounds like bubbles. Yeah. So it just makes me want to get one. Yeah, but as soon as you do, they'll have one, a number four out, and you'll be out of date. Oh, of course. Well, and then what I need to do is I need to uh, make sure I've got my name all over that thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then let's see what I have. Did I have some? Oh, I had some. Uh, was it a photo or a video? That was, this was a photo of the week. This is Escalator Underwater at the South Ferry Subway Station. And if there's any doubt how much water they had, this is an escalator going down to the subway. You can't fill the escalator up if you haven't filled the subway up with water. So that tells me that that subway was completely full. Some reports have it that there is over 1 billion gallons of water in the subway system there. To get an idea how much of a billion gallons is, the total United States usage of water in two days across the whole U.S. is less than a billion gallons. So they've got to pump that out of the subway there. And you can't tell me that subway is going to be the same. No. Wonder no some, what kind of mold and fungus you're going to have from that. Oh, yeah. You're going to anything, any fiberglass insulation is all going to have to be ripped out. All light fixtures are going to be have to be ripped out. I mean, that's salt water in there. That's not fresh water. Silt. Unbelievable amount of water in there. And then, uh, you know, of course, once you see a flooded subway, you know what our minds are thinking. Where's the diver that went there? Yep. So here's a photo. See if you can spot all the things wrong with that photo. If any. If any. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So real or hoax scuba diver in New York subway. Uh, the photo was, uh, this was October 31st where the, sub, the photo was uh, going around. And it shows a diver appearing to be swimming through the subway. Looks like there's a, supposed to be a car at a station. I can't really tell. Yeah, I can't tell if that's a st- station or not. It's probably not the station. I'm also trying to, is that like somebody standing on the right side there, like behind the pole? <laughs> sort of looks that way, doesn't it? Yeah, it kind of looks like a coat sleeve. Now, like I said, the biggest to me is I didn't know they had fluorescent tubes that would work underwater like that. Oh, very effective tubes. And then how about the reflection of the puddles on the floor? <laughs> yeah, down the line based on the uh, tubes, yeah. Yeah. So. But it does sound interesting, doesn't it? Oh, it, certainly. I would dive it. I might not. I might wish I didn't dive it. Plus, make sure like, you've turned off that third leg. I'd take a, I'd take a reel with me. Oh, certainly. And and not, and not just a simple cave line. I want uh, ice diving line. Yeah. I wonder if you have any current down there. Ooh. I bet you would. You'd almost have to because it, it's God, there's, there's, it's just so expansive. Well, looking at the other pictures on the surface, it's calm. But I can't believe if it's draining out, you're going to have an outlet current anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Once the tide went down, anything that was flooded above 
uh, sea level, they would be having run out through drains. Hopefully they learn from it and they, they come up with some system to help prevent this from flooding again. Now, the only way you can do that is have a big tube with a, some kind of valve or something at either end. Well, they, you could have had stations that were airlocked and yep. and that sort of thing. So all you did was you flooded your your state your state your station stairways. Yeah, that's true. Because you know, I I've like you know, if you've seen the Washington D.C. Metro, I mean that seems I mean even though it, it could have easily had the same situation, uh, there's spots for engineering where you could reduce the flow of water. And I don't know if you'd uh, stop it completely, but you're only talking about trying to reduce the flow of water for a few days. Uh, it's not going to be flooded for a week at a time. Yeah, Dave says I see a MythBusters challenge. <laughs> Okay, so that's uh, that's it for the for that. And then uh, we do have a video. Not again. It's of the the tunnels. And this this is a a tunnel that went. I'm not sure which tunnel it is. I can't visualize which one, but uh, it's a car tunnel. Whoops. The Brooklyn Battery Tunnel is one of them, and the yeah. Huey L. Carey Brooklyn Battery Tunnel is really really flooded. Yeah, and and they they show photos. And if you listen to the video, which this is a, a video released by the Metropolitan Transit Authority, uh, you get an idea of it. I mean, and it is it is flooded. They said there was about 43 million gallons of water in each of the tunnel's tubes. So, yeah, just a, bi- a big impact. And then to cap it off, we had a video of the week. This one was out of the U.K., and I, and I think they've been taking tips from us. We've been talking about diving local in this video is talking about diving local in the UK. Uh, you'll notice the sponsor at the end that the uh, the video was produced by Sunto. So paste that in the chat room so you get a chance to watch it. Worth a good view. Needs to be more local diving wherever you are. Because if you're if you're not diving where you live, then you need to move where you dive. Because life's too short to just to miss out on all that diving. I don't know. <laughs> we are diving where we live, so I don't reckon we have to move, do we? No, we're getting plenty of diving in. Oh, I noted Bob did already leave for the warmer waters. Is that when you say warmer? Is that Hawaii? Bob Jensen. Oh, the other oh, other Bob. Yep, he's oh. down on the sailboat about now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, guess we can't hold it against him. It's only half the year. Yeah, he's got a rough life, but somebody's got to do it, huh? Yeah, somebody, somebody's got to go down there. Okay, so that does it for scuba in the news. We'll have these show notes posted. I did get caught up on all the show notes for the last three weeks. You can catch the show notes at scubaobsessed.com website. From there, don't hesitate to click on our uh, link about uh, scuba obsessed fans and put your pin in the map. All the cool scuba divers are doing it. We added a few more this week, so see if anybody in your neck of the woods has placed a pin in the map. Uh, if, if there is somebody you don't know who it is, we'll have to figure out some way to get people connected, get some dive buddies together. Um, we love the five-star reviews. If you get a chance, give us a five-star review on iTunes, and we also love them on TalkShoe. So if you go to TalkShoe, we're show 73759. And we did have some people call into the show listening to streaming audio. So even if you aren't listening with a client, you can call in and uh, listen via streaming uh, by your phone. Oh, Facebook. We had quite a bit on Facebook this week, too, with all those show notes getting posted up there. So it, that's on facebook.com forward slash obsessed. And I didn't get any diving in this week. And, Mac, I, I, I'm taking it you didn't get any diving in. 
No, I didn't. I did I not think, even get my pinkies wet. I don't think Jim did. There was some talk about doing some diving this weekend, but it sounds like we're going to delay those plans. We're going to get over to the east side of the state, the other good side of the state, but it didn't happen. That's the sunrise where the sun set. So, and if you, well, and I if think you can, Jim's, what's that? I, was say, I think Jim's kicked into the uh, research mode already for the winter. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that happens once you put the boat away. Yep. I mean, he's already been up to Western to take a look at some uh, pictorials, trying to get some uh, microfish for some research. And uh, I think he was going to try to get the bowling green tomorrow, actually. Oh, very cool. So we're diving in thought for sure. Yeah, I know. So I'm, I'm kind of getting that point where I don't, I mean, I've got my, oh, we're November. I got to get my November dive in. Well, I know oh, I'm going to get a dive turkey, coming up. turkey dive. Yep. What's that, Mac? Turkey dives next. That's November. Yep, we're in November, so that is one, two, three weeks away. Is it only three weeks? It's the 22nd or is it 24th is the dive. 24th is the dive, yeah. So we'll be doing the dive on November 24th. And I don't think we've got a location picked up, but. Well, tentative the river, but we'll play it by ear based on the currents and whether it's at Benton Harbor or over at the uh, Marina Basin, the Whirlpool, or we have to adjourn and go down river in Niles like we did uh, last year. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to Niles. No, no, last year wasn't Niles. Last year was Benton Harbor. Right. Year before it was Niles, and then yeah. year before it was back to Benton Harbor. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for a Niles spot or uh, a new spot altogether. Okay. Well, that makes for a rather lackluster uh, <laughs> talking about diving. Maybe, maybe we'll have to do some proxy diving. So if somebody's got, if you've been getting some great dives, you've gone on vacation, drop us a line. Maybe we'll bring you on the show. Dave says I, he votes for uh, Niles for the turkey dive. And he's been there. He, he he went diving there when he was in town last time. Yeah. So he's experienced the the fun. Yeah, I think I think between that location one and Ben Harbor. Now, he he was our big winner, Ben Harbor, last year. I think he found the jar. <laughs> so he did find a few things. but. Uh. Well, from safety aspect, uh, Niles is actually better. It can be, yeah. You don't have quite the bet, uh, concrete and rebar. That down in Benton Harbor does. Yeah, that's true. Benton Harbor does have a little bit of a rebar mess. Yeah. Gosh, I think that's uh, making it's forcing us into that time of the show, isn't it? Yes, sir, it is. Ooh, and this one's exceptionally bad. So uh, let's see, is the chat room ready? We still have a few we haven't scared off yet. Usually the the, the bad scuba joke will do it. But I'd like to thank everybody who had. We had quite a few uh, people in the chat room today. Uh, some of them look like they, after the diver sink got done recording, they came over uh, and came. Well, nice to see uh, Rich and Dave in there. Uh, also had Mark from California. Chris was here for a while. Brian, Paul, uh, Shipwreck Mike. Uh, a few a few others I don't even recognize. Uh, appreciate And Lisa was here right in the beginning. She likes to hit the beginning of the show. So we appreciate you. Uh, we're here because of our fans. Let us know what you like. You can always drop us a line at the show at scubaobsessed.com. Uh, we're, we're probably going to do a little bit of re-engineering for the beginning of the year. I say that every year, and we usually try and change something, so I have some ideas. Uh, as the weather starts getting bad and I don't get as much diving and it gives me a little bit more time to do that, so we're going to be doing a few things. I still have an idea of doing a video show. We'll just have to get that in. And then we got the show season, so I'm going to try to hit more shows this year. I'm pretty confident saying I'm going to be at Our World Underwater. I'll probably hit Ford Seahorses and then maybe pull together a few others along the way. Hopefully gas prices stay down because that's going to be a contributing factor to how many of those shows we can get to. So without any further ado, here we are for the Bad Scuba Joke. 
Several of the club divers went to the greet and meet at uh, Dive in Gilboa. No one wanted a room with Ralph because he snored so badly. They decided it wasn't fair to make one of them stay with him the whole time, so they voted to take turns. The first guy slept with Ralph and came to breakfast the next morning with his hair a mess and his eyes all bloodshot. They said, man, what happened to you? He said, Ralph snored so loudly, I just sat up and watched him all night. The next night, a different guy's turn. In the morning, the same thing happened. His hair was all standing up, his eyes bloodshot. They said, man, what happened to you? You look awful. He said, man, that Ralph snores the, uh, shakes the roof off with his snoring. I watched him all night. The third night was Mac's turn. Mac was an experienced older diver, a man's man. The next morning, he came to breakfast bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Good morning, he said. They couldn't believe it. They said, man, what happened? Mac said, well, after listening to you guys complain about Ralph snoring when I got ready for bed, I went and I tucked Ralph in the bed, pat him on the butt, gave him a kiss goodnight. Ralph sat up all night and watched me. Don't hear any groans. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's one of those uh, little uh, experience from age there, I think. <laughs> yeah, and there's kind of a uncanny naming resemblance there. I think the one of those coincidental items. Yeah, it had to be coincidental. So, until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. Recording has been completed.